All things may change, but they never die. Welcome to Sojourner's Spirituality, a pagan podcast. It has been some time since our last podcast, but we're going to get right back in it with a further continuation of the exploration of the metamorphoses by Ovid. Today, we will be dealing with a very fascinating character by the name of Thiefen. The sun rises high and lights the world. Apollo Phoebus drives it in his chariot with wild steeds along its circuit, day after day giving light to those that walk the earth and fulfilling his divine duty. As the sun is bright, high and proud, even so are its children. One such child of the sun was Phaethon. Born of Clymene, his grandparents were none other than Okeanos and Tethys, Titans and Titaness, and consorts who once ruled the oceans and the waves before the gods ever sat on Olympus. Thethan was the son of water and fire. As his mother told him, he was the son of Apollo, but he was the son of an affair, not a marriage. It was within Thethan that these opposing forces met, found reconciliation, and gave birth to a life as deeply moving and feeling as the waves but as warm and as gentle as the springtime sun. Thiefen, child of the sun, who once boasted proudly that Thebus was his father and refused to concede the claim, which his friend Anakis' grandson could not accept. He said, you are mad to believe all your mother says, and you have an inflated image of your father. Thiefen reddened with fury, but also shame, and he could not take this, so he went to his mother Clymene, with his repressed anger, and he said, Mother, they're saying the worst things about you. They say that I am not the son of Apollo and that you are just a common whore. And he said, Give me some proof of my divine birth, of my divine stock, and who my father truly is. And he flung his arms around his mother's neck, crying and begging her. <clears throat> Clymene, Moved, perhaps, by Thethan's entreaties, more of an anger or the slight against her person, stretched out both her arms to the sun above, and said in the glow of the sun, By the brightness marked out by glittering rays that sees and hears us, I swear to you, my son, that you are the child of the sun. Of that being you see, you are the child of he who governs the world. If I lie, may he himself decline to look on me again and may this be the last light to reach our eyes. It is no great effort for you to find your father's house. The place he rises from is near our land. If you have in mind to do so, go and ask the son himself. Immediately, Thethan, delighted at his mother's words and imagined the heavens in his mind, darted off and crossed Ethiopia and India, and finally came upon the temple of Apollo. Thiefen's mother was scorned, and Thiefen felt the yearning within him to know who truly he was, and to show the world his mother was no liar, and that he was in fact the son of the great god. Stirred by a noble pride, and not from avarice or greed, he set upon distant lands to the temple where Apollo dwelt. Apollo, seated in the middle of his temple, looked at this boy charging up his steps, who was fearless of the strange of it all, with eyes that saw everything, and said to Apollo said to Thethan, What brings you here? 
What do you look for on these heights, Thethan, son, that no father need deny? Fifan replied, Universal light of the great world, Thebus, father, if you let me use that name. If Clymene is not hiding some fault behind false pretense, give me proof, father, so they will believe I am your true offspring, and take away this uncertainty from my mind. He spoke, and his father removed the crown of glittering rays from his head, and ordered Fifan to come nearer. Embracing him, Apollo said, It is not to be denied that you are worthy to be mine, and Clymene has told you the truth of your birth, so that you can banish doubt. Ask any favor so that I can grant it to you. May the Stygian lake that my eyes have never seen, by the gods which swear, witness my promise. Hardly had Apollo settled back properly in his seat when the boy Fifan asked for his father's chariot and the right to control his wing-footed steeds but for a day. Apollo, who removed his crown and got off his throne to embrace his son, not as king with subject, but as father with child, heard his son's request. And this request Thethan wanted was not for himself. He did not seek riches, Thethan did not seek power. He sought only to prove himself, and in proving himself, prove that his mother was vindicated as well, and so that he could know within himself his destiny and the fate's strands that had been woven for him. <clears throat> However, his father Apollo regretted his oath. Three times, and then a fourth, shaking his bright head, Apollo said, Your words show mine were rash. If only it were right to retract my promise. I confess, my boy, I would only refuse you this one thing. It is right to dissuade you. What you want is unsafe. Thethan, you ask too great a favor, and one that is unthinning your strength and boyish years. Your fate is mortal. It is not mortal what you ask. Unknowingly, you aspire to more than the gods can share. Though each deity can please themselves within what is allowed, no one except myself has the power to occupy the chariot of fire. Even the lord of mighty Olympus, who hurls terrifying lightning bolts from his right hand, cannot drive this team, and who is greater than Jupiter? But Fifan would not be dissuaded. Apollo authored him riches, he authored him power, he offered him kingly gifts of war, but Fifan held true to his first request. Apollo, knowing that he must fulfill his divine oath, would not let Thethan go without the best warnings he could give him. He says, The first part of the track is steep, and one that my fresh horses at dawn can hardly climb. In mid-heaven it is highest, where to look down upon earth and sea often alarms even me, and makes my heart tremble with awesome fear. The last part of the track is downwards, and needs sure control. Even Tethys herself, who receives me in her submissive waves, is accustomed to fear that I might dive headlong. Moreover, the rushing sky is constantly turning, and drags the remote stars and whirls them in rapid orbits. I move the opposite way, and its momentum does not overcome me as it does all other things, and I ride contrary to its swift rotation. Suppose you were given that chariot, 
what will you do? Will you be able to counter the turning poles so that the swiftness of the skies does not carry you away? Perhaps you conceive in imagination that there are groves there and cities of gods and temples with rich gifts. The way runs through ambush and apparitions of wild beasts. Even if you keep your course and do not steer awry, you must still avoid the horns of Taurus the bull, Sagittarius the Hymenon archer, raging Leo in the lion's jaw, Scorpio's cruel pinchers sweeping out to encircle you from one side, and Cancer crab claws reaching from the other. You will not easily rule those proud horses, breathing through mouth and nostrils the fires burning in their chests. They scarcely tolerate my control when their fierce spirits are hot and their necks resist the reins. Beware, my boy, that I am not a source of a gift fatal to you, while something can still be done to set right your request. No doubt, since you ask for a certain sign to give you confidence in being born of my blood, I give you that sure sign by fearing for you and show myself a father by fatherly anxiety. Look at me, if only you could look into my heart and see a father's concern from within. Finally, look around you at the riches the world holds and ask for anything from all of the good things in earth, sea, and sky. I can refuse you nothing. Only this one thing I take exception to, which would truly be a punishment and not an honor. Thethan, you ask for punishment as your reward? Will you unknowingly throw your coaxing arms around my neck? Have no doubt, whatever you ask will be given. I have sworn by the Stygian streams, but make a wiser choice. The warning had ended, but Thethan still rejected his father's words and pressed his purpose, blazing with desire to drive the chariot so as he had the right. His father led the youth to the high chariot, Vulcan's work. It had an axle of gold and a gold chariot pole, wheels with golden rims and circles of silver spokes. Along the yoke, chrysolites and gemstones set in order, glowed with brilliance, reflecting Phoebus's own light. Now while brave Fifan is gazing in wonder at the workmanship, see Aurora awake in the glowing east, opens wide her bright doors and the rose-filled courts. The stars whose ranks are shepherded by Lucifer the morning star vanish, and last of all, he leaves his station in the sky. The boy had taken possession of the fleet chariot, and he stood proudly and joyfully. He takes the reins in his hands, and he thanks his unwilling father. Meanwhile, the sun's swift horses, Pyroes, Eoeus, Ethan, and the fourth Phlegon fill the air with fiery whinnying and strike the bars with their hooves. When Tethys, ignorant of her grandson's fate, pushed back the gate and gave them access to the wide heavens rushing out, the horses tore through the mists and the way with their hooves and lifted by their wings overtook the east winds rising to the same region. But the weight was lighter than the horses of the sons could feel, and the yoke was free of its accustomed load. Just as curved side boats rock in the waves without the proper ballast, and beings too light are unstable at sea, so the chariot, free of the usual burden, leapt in the air and rushed to the heights as though it were empty.
as soon as the horses felt the team of four run wild and lead the beaten track, no longer running in their preordained course, Dethan was terrified. He was unable to handle the reins entrusted to him, not knowing where the track was, or if he had known, how to control his team. Then for the first time, the chill stars of the great and little bears grew hot and tried in vain to douse themselves in forbidden waters, and the dragon Draco, that is nearest to the frozen pole, never formidable before and sluggish with the cold, now he glowed with heat and took to seething with new fury. And they also say that Brutes fled in confusion, slow as though she were hampered by the plow. When the unlucky Fifan looked down from the heights of the sky at the earth far, far below, he grew pale, and his knees quaked with sudden fear, and his eyes were robbed of shadow by the excess of light. Now he rather that he would have never touched his father's horses, and regretted knowing his true parentage and possessing what he asked for. Now Fifan wants only to be called Merop's son. As he is driven like a ship in the northern gale, whose master lets go the ropes and leaves her to prayer in the gods, what can Thethan do? Much of the sky is now behind his back, but more before his eyes. Measuring both in his mind, he looks ahead to the west. He is not fated to reach, and at times back to the east from whence he came. Dazed, he is ignorant how to act, and can neither grasp the reins, nor has the power to loose them, nor can change course by calling the horses by name. Also, alarmed, he sees the marvelous forms of the huge creatures everywhere in the glowing sky. There is a place where Scorpio bends his pinchers in twin arcs, and with his tail curving and his arms stretched out, spreads his body and limbs over two sides. When the boy saw this monster, drenched with black and poisonous venom, threatening to wound him with its sting, robbed of his wits by the chilling whore, Thethan dropped the reins. When the horses feel the reins lying across their back and known the rider has thrown them down, they veer off course and run unchecked through shadows and unknown regions of air. Wherever their momentum takes them, they run lawlessly without order, striking against the fixed stars of the heaven and hurrying the chariot along remote tracks never meant for it. Now they climb the heights of heaven, now rush headlong down its precious slope, sweeping a course nearer to the earth. The moon, amazed, sees her brother Apollo's horses running below her own, and the boiling clouds smoke. The earth burst into flame, and the highest regions first, opening deep fissures and all its moistures dried up. The meadows turn white, the trees are consumed with all their leaves, and the scorched corn makes its own destruction. But I am bemoaning the lesser things. Great cities are destroyed with all their walls and the flames reduce whole nations and all their people to ashes. The woodlands burn with all the hills. Mount Athos is on fire. Sicilian Taurus, Tamalus, Iete, and Ida, dry, now once covered with fountains. And Hilcion, home of the Muses, and Hamus, not yet linked with King Agrius's home. Etna blazes with immense redoubled flames, the twin peaks of Parnassus, Eryx, Cynthius, Orthus, Rodipi, faded at last to lose their snow. Mimas and the peaks, Damidia, Myclea, and Cithaeron, ancient in rites. Its chilly 
climate cannot save Scythia. The Caucasus Mountains burn in fire, and Asa, along with Pindus, an Olympus greater than either, and the lofty Alps and the snow-clapped Apennines, all had the snow melt and are scorched. Then truly, Thethan saw the entire world on fire. He cannot bear the violent heat, and he breathes the air as if from a deep furnace. He feels the chariot glowing red-hot and white. He can no longer stand the ash in the air, and the sparks fly out and are enveloped in dense, hot smoke. Thethan does not know where he is, where he is going. He's slept, swept along by the will of the winged steeds. Then Libya became a desert, the heat drying up her moisture. Then the nymphs with their disheveled hair wept bitterly for their lakes and their fountains. There was chaos all around and death on every breath. Finally, the earth, Gaia, surrounded as she was by the sea, between open waters and the dwindling streams that had buried themselves in their mother's dark womb, lifted her smothered face, putting her hand to her brow and shaking everything with mighty tremors. Gaia sank back a little lower than she used to be and spoke in a faint voice. If this pleases you, if I have deserved it, O king of the gods, why delay your lightning bolts? It is, is, it, is it right for me to die through the power of fire? Let me die by your fire, not the doer, and lessen the pain of this deed. I can hardly open my lips to say these words, though the heat was choking her. Look at my scorched hair and the ashes in my eyes, the ashes over my face. Is this the honor and reward you give me for my fruitfulness and service, for carrying wounds from the carved plow and the hoe, for being worked throughout the year, providing herbage and tender grazing for flocks, produce through the human race, and incense to minister to the gods? Even if you find me deserving of ruin, what had the waves done? What does your brother deserve this? Why are the waters that were his share by lot diminish so much further than the sky? If neither regard for me nor your brother moves you, pity at least your own heavens. Look around on either side. Both the poles are steaming. If the fire should melt them, your own palace will fall. Atlas himself is suffering and can barely hold up the white-hot sky on his shoulders. If the sea and land and the kingdom of the heavens are destroyed, we are lost in chaos once again. Save whatever is left of the flames and think of our common interest. As Earth spoke, tears wetting her face from the ash and unable to tolerate the heat any longer or speak any more, she withdrew her face into the depths of the caverns of the dead. But the all-powerful father of the gods climbed to the highest summit of heaven from whence Zeus spread his clouds over the wide earth, from where he moves thunder and hurls his quithering lightning bolts, calling on the gods, especially on him who had handed over the sun chariot Apollo. He called Apollo to witness that, unless he himself helps, the whole world will be overtaken by a ruinous fate. Now Zeus has no clouds to cover the earth, no rain to shower from the sky. 
he thundered, and balancing a lightning bolt in his right hand, he threw it from eye level at the charioteer, removing him. And at the same moment, from the chariot and from life, Thiefen extinguished. Zeus extinguishing fire with a fiercer fire, threw him into confusion the horses, lurching in different directions, wrenching their necks from the yoke, and threw off the broken harness. Here the reins lie, there the axle torn from the pole, and there the spokes of shattered wheels, and the fragments of the wrecked chariot are flung far and are flung wide. But Phaethon, flames ravaging, his glowing hair is hurled headlong, leaving a long trail in the air, as sometimes a star does in the clear sky, appearing to fall even though it does not fall, far from his own country, in a distant part of the world, the river god Eridanus takes him from air and bathes his smoke-blackened face. The Italian nymphs consigned his body, still smoking from the triple-forked flame to the earth, and they carve a verse in the rock. Thiefen's sisters grieved for him. Although all the world had been so nearly brought to destruction, still they grieved. In their grief, they were transformed into poplar trees. Four times the moon had joined her crescent horns to form her bright disk. They, by habit, since use creates habit, devoted themselves to mourning. Then, Thethusa, the eldest sister of Thethan, when she tried to throw herself to the ground, complained that her ankles had stiffened, and when radiant Lampeta tried to come near, she was suddenly rooted to the spot. A third sister, attempting to tear at her hair, pulled out leaves. One cried out in pain that her legs were sheathed in wood, and another that her arms had become long branches. While they wondered at this, bark closed around their thighs, and by degrees over their waists, breasts, shoulders, and hands. But all that was left was tree, and their mouths was calling for mother. What could their mother do but go here, and there is an impulse takes her, pressing her lips to theirs while she can. It is no good. She tries to pull the bark from their bodies, and break off new branches with her hands. But drops of blood are left behind like wounds. Stop, mother, please, cries out whichever one she hurts. Please stop. It is my body in the tree you were tearing. Now farewell. And the bark closed over them with last words. Their tears still flow, and hardened by the sun, they fall as amber from the virgin branches to be taken on the bright river and sent onwards to adorn Roman brides. But there was another who missed Thethan more than all others. His name was Cygnus, the son of Stephelinus. He witnessed the marvel of Thethan's sisters being turned into the poplar trees, who, though Cygnus was akin to Thethan, through his mother was still even closer than his mother in love of Thethan. Now, though he had ruled the people in great cities of Ligeria, this king left his kingdom and he filled Eridanus's green banks and streams, and the woods the sisters had become part of with his grief. As he did so, his voice vanished, and white feathers hid his hair, his long neck stretched out from his body, 
his reddened fingers became webbed, wings covering his side, and a rounded beak in his mouth. So Cygnus became a new kind of bird, the swan. But he had no faith in Jupiter and the heavens, remembering the lightning bolt that the god had hurled to kill his love. He looked for standing water and open lakes hating fire, choosing rather to live among the boughs and branches of quiet streams away from the sun and away from the heavens. Meanwhile, Thiefen's father Apollo, mourning without his accustomed brightness, as if in the eclipse he hated the light himself and the day. Apollo gave his mind over to grief, and to grief added his anger, and refused to provide his service of the sunlight to the earth. Enough, Apollo says, since the beginning my task has given me no rest, and I am weary of work without end and labor without honor. Whoever chooses to can steer the chariot of light, if no one does, and all the gods acknowledge they cannot, let Jupiter himself do it, so that for a while at least, while he tries to take the reins, he must put aside the lightning bolts that leave fathers bereft of their sons. He will know when he has tried the strength of those horses with hooves of fire that the one who failed to rule them well did not deserve to be killed. All the fathers gather round Sol as he talks like this and begs him not to shroud everything with darkness. Jupiter himself, feeling pain and sorrow for Apollo, he tried to excuse the fire he hurled, adding threats with his entreaties as kings do. Then Thebes, Apollo, rounds up his horses, his horses still maddened and trembling with terror, and in pain lashes at them with the goad and whip, reproaching them and blaming the horses for his son's death. No longer does Apollo ride the heavens with joy or with pride. No longer. Whenever you see a poplar tree, remember that they were born of the sorrow. Remember one named Thethan, who wanted only to prove who he was, and in so doing, nearly destroyed the world. Remember the difficult decision Zeus had to make, for which would ever and forever thereafter earn him the despisement of Apollo. Remember Gaia's, the Earth's, pain, and how little she had to do with the whole affair. And remember, perhaps most of all, Cygnus, the one who wasted away in grief and yet is forever immortalized as a swan. This has been Sojourner's Spirituality. I hope you enjoyed the story of Thethan, the son of the sun.